So how do you handle hard decisions? I mean, when there's just really something you got to figure out what to do, how do you handle it? Well, in Gary, Nebraska, there was an interesting problem that came up in the primary elections for town mayor. It seems that two of the candidates, Brian Taylor and Paul Morrell, each had exactly 92 votes apiece, dead even. They counted and recounted, no change. They each had 92 votes. So how'd they handle the tiebreaker? Well, Linda Houck of the Scotts Bluff Canvassing Board was instructed undoubtedly by the election guidelines to flip a coin. That's how they decided who was going to be the tiebreaker. So she flipped the half dollar in the air. Brian Taylor called heads. It landed on heads. So Brian Taylor is now running against the challenger, David Curtis, in Garing, Nebraska. Just want to be sure you're up on Garing, Nebraska news in case anybody may ask you any questions. You know what's happening with the election of the town mayor. You know, the flipping of a coin is not just something that happens out in Nebraska. It's really had a, a place in history, too. The Wright brothers flipped a coin to decide who was going to be the first in flight. A coin was flipped to decide the name of Portland, Oregon. Eventually, the flipping of a coin led to Terry Bradshaw being the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers instead of the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Pretty big deal if you're in the sports world. And also, it was the somewhat rigged flipping of a coin that made sure Opie did not have to eat Aunt B's pot roast. So there's all kinds of coin flipping that happens in life. And why do we do that? Why do we flip a coin? Well, oftentimes the reason we flip a coin is because we're struggling with a decision. We're having a hard time making a decision. We're, we're having a hard time. Sometimes we're just avoiding the decision altogether. The National Bureau of Economic Research published a, a working paper a couple of years ago from Stephen Levitt, and this was the title of the paper, Heads or Tails, the Impact of a Coin Toss on Major Life Decisions and Subsequent Happiness. Levitt, what he did was studied the impact of flipping a coin for decisions. And if I understood the study right, basically what happened was they, they asked some people in this study to take major and minor decisions in life and use the coin flipping process to make their decision. Now, heads meant that you needed to make a change and tails meant that everything stayed the same, that you didn't do anything. And what the study found was that the people who landed on heads were more likely to make a change and then six months later, they were happier with the change that they had made as opposed to the people who landed on tails and did absolutely nothing, just left everything the same. Now, it's also my understanding there were no questions about chocolate in this study because, of course, this wouldn't work. If it lands on heads, all you're going to do is change the type of chocolate that you eat, you know, maybe from white to milk chocolate or dark to extra dark. And then if it lands on tails, you're just going to keep eating the same chocolate you have. So either way, it's a win-win. So I'm sure there were no questions on chocolate. But the reality is we know this is somewhat true, right? When we get stuck into a hard decision, we're not really sure. Maybe you remember the moment that you flipped the coin and you went with whatever the coin said and, and you moved along and you even had a little happiness as time went on. But what if we're not talking about the election of a mayor in Nebraska? 
What if we're not talking about a, a Hall of Fame quarterback or chocolate? What if it's something more valuable? What if the change or the flip that we're talking about is something that actually involves the very condition of your soul? That sounds like a, a different change and a, and a different flip. So what kind of flip is that? Let's see if we can find out. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 8. Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he says this, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. There's all kind of people in this crowd. There's people in this crowd that went to church every Sunday. There's people in this crowd that went to church every now and then. There's some people in this crowd that, that never went to church. There's people in the crowd that were moral and some that were immoral. There's some who were generous and some who were greedy. Some of them knew they were sinners. Some of them didn't feel like they were sinners at all. Some of them were bothered by their sin. Some of them completely ignored their sin. But there were all kinds of people in this crowd. And Jesus tells a, a parable, a story with an important truth that everybody in that crowd would be able to understand. If you have something valuable and you lose it, you're going to go looking for it. Last Saturday, I was uh, buying some soft drinks at the Sonic Drive-In in Forest City, Arkansas. And I was going to pay for these soft drinks with a $10 bill that I had in a little zipper pocket in my hiking shorts. And my wife gave me $4 instead to give for the drinks. So the nice lady brought our drinks out to the car. I gave her the $4, told her to keep the change. Went on down the road, cruising down the interstate. Just kind of casually reached in that little zipper pocket for my $10 bill. And it, it wasn't there. And the first thing that went through my mind is I was just accidentally a fantastic Christian because I accidentally just gave that girl a $10 tip and I don't even know that I did it. Well, of course, we're riding down the interstate, so I, I can't really pull over and you know, start a frantic search. And it's a long way from Arkansas to South Carolina. So I decided, you know what, we're just going to wait till we get to the next stop. But truthfully, there was this kind of aggravating, mild panic that started going over my mind. Oh, did I really lose that 10? Did I give it away? So we got to our next stop in Olive Branch, Mississippi at OB Donuts, which was fantastic, by the way. And I decided, you know what, this is my time. I'm going to get out and look around. So I checked my pocket again, got down under the seat, started looking around under the seat. No $10 bill. I was, I was super bummed. Got back out on the road, cruised along for a while, and, and I decided, you know what, when we make our next stop, I'm just going to look again. So we got to New Albany, Mississippi, and I got out and looked down, and what to my wondering eyes did appear? The sovereign wind of God blew under the seat of my car, and suddenly there was my $10 bill just sitting right there in the floor. All of a sudden, all of my aggravating, mild panic just kind of went away, and I was kind of super excited to have my $10 back. We've all been there, right? I mean, Jesus is talking to a huge crowd of people. There's all kinds of people in this crowd, and he tells a story, a parable that everybody could make a connection with. Hey, you know what? When you lose something, you go looking for it. So what did this lady lose? Well, she lost a coin. All right, now, a coin may not sound like a big deal to us, right? I mean, some of you have enough coins underneath the front seat of your car to get a couple of steak burritos at the Happy Donkey Mexican Grill. 
That's a real place, by the way. You know, there's money underneath your seat. And so we think, ah, a coin, you know, no big deal, just one coin. But in ancient times, this coin would have been much more valuable than what we have under the seat of our car. The bartering system was pretty big back in that day. So if I owned a fish stand in the market, you might come and try to trade me some figs for a bucket of sardines. There was a trading system. And that trading system means that the the money had a different kind of value. We might say that we would save the, the coins, the real money, for a special occasion. There were some people there that had some serious coin, and there were some people that didn't have a whole lot of coins. In other words, just like today, there were some wealthy people, and there were some poor people, and there were some people in between. And the way Jesus tells this parable, it it seems as if this woman was in the in-between to poor because these ten coins were very valuable to her. She was upset when she lost her coin. Now, this wasn't something she'd leave out on the counter, right? I mean, we, we lose coins under the car, or, or maybe you've got a little coin dish on your kitchen counter that has the coins in it. That's not what she would have done. Now, this lady, these coins were valuable and precious to her. If we look at the cultural history at the time, she may have had these 10 coins strung very tightly on kind of like a, a headband necklace type of thing that she would wear over her forehead, or, or maybe a similar necklace that she would wear around her neck. She might have a little pouch where all 10 of the coins were securely put in that pouch and securely knitted to a necklace and those coins would hang down near her heart all day long. These coins were valuable to her. Probably one of those coins was about a day's wages, but that doesn't mean it was only 10 days worth of money for her. If you made $100 a day, but you only spent $10 That means that you've got $100 that's more valuable than just a day's wage. It will go a lot farther. So her coin was was not just 10 coins for 10 days. These were very valuable coins. If we were to try to make a connection for us today, it might be more like a savings account or, or a retirement account. Somebody's even suggested it might have been her dowry. Maybe when she got married, her parents maybe gave her these 10 coins or maybe her husband gave her these 10 coins, maybe for an emergency one day or, or maybe if her husband were to die, she'd have something that she could use. And if, if that's the case, if that were true, then there's some marriage weight behind these coins. So we might even imagine this would almost be like she had lost her wedding ring, you know, and then it's not just something of value. Then it's, it's something completely different. Then there's the social awkwardness that she lost her wedding ring. It's not just valuable, it's kind of awkward socially and even emotionally that she didn't have this ring. That would be particularly true in this time because they believed a lot of symbolism, held some symbols in high esteem. So this lady did not just lose a coin under the driver's seat of her car. She lost something of of significant value. And what did she do when she lost it? (laughs) She, She tore the house apart, right? I mean, she looked everywhere under every nook and cranny, everywhere she could. She was going to do everything she can to to find this coin. She didn't say, ah, one coin, no big deal. No, she did the opposite. She was determined to find this coin. She was not going to let anything hinder her from it. But she did two particular things. What does it say there in the verse? Jesus says she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house. And she gets her, her best tactical 
flashlight. Man, she's all over the house, shining in every spot she can. She, she puts on her night goggles. She wants to make sure that no space goes unseen. She wants to be sure she looks everywhere. And then she sweeps, like, like looking for the beep of a metal detector. She's, she's hoping that that broom will hit something and, and she'll hear that little tinking of the coin up against something. She was determined. She was passionate. She was energetic. She was going to find this lost coin. Now, did this coin know it was lost? No. Did the coin know it needed to be found? No, not at all. It's just a a lifeless, dead coin. But the owner of the coin knew that the coin was lost, and the owner, she was going to find that coin. She was not going to be turned away. So maybe during one of the times that the lamp sweeped across the room, she caught the, the glitter of the coin somewhere, or maybe the, the broom did its job and it swept the coin up and, and she heard the tinking, but, but one way or the other, she found the lost coin. And what does she do? Listen to verse nine. When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. When I found my $10 bill in New Albany, Mississippi, I did not run into Burger King and go, hey, everybody, I found my $10. Come on, pie for everybody. This is great. This is... No, I didn't do that. <laughs> that would have been really weird if I did. No, I, I didn't do that, did I? But this woman, boy, this is, this is significant for her. Something of, of value, something financially valuable to her, something emotionally valuable to her. All of her family and friends, they would have felt her pain when they heard she lost this coin. And they would have felt her joy when they found out that she found it. What happened to a bunch of guys out playing golf and, and one of their buddies hits a hole in one? What are they going to do? Man, they're going to high five. They're going to, you know, fist bump and chest bump, throw their hands up in the air, scream. They're going to do something. Why? Because they're excited for what happened to their buddy. What about, what about some ladies? They're sitting in the coffee shop one morning and, and one of their friends suddenly puts her hand out in the middle of the table and shows off her brand new engagement ring that she got the night before. What are they going to do? They're going to smile. They're going to scream. They're going to hug. They're going to knock their lattes all over the place. Why? Because they're excited for her. Jesus is, is not using confusing language here. We all know what it means to lose something valuable. We know what it means to search for it. We know what it means to find it, and we know what it means to be excited when we find it. But Jesus is not just telling a story that we can kind of make a connection to. He's telling us a story, and he's telling this crowd a story because he has an eternal truth that he wants them to know, and he wants us to know. So what's that truth? Listen to verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you could use just one word to sum up all of Luke 15 and what Jesus is talking about, it's joy. But, but why? Why is Jesus so focused on joy? Well, he's focused on joy because there's some specific people in this crowd that he's trying to respond to. See, there were some folks in this crowd known as the scribes and Pharisees. They were good, consistent, church-going, highly religious people. And they were highly offended that Jesus would hang around 
with immoral people. They were offended that he would hang out with sinful, immoral people, sometimes even criminal people. And they let that be known. They were offended that that Jesus would spend time with them. They were offended that Jesus would eat with them. But Jesus didn't just spend time with them. He didn't just eat with them. Jesus invited them to heaven. Invited them to heaven. Jesus said if, if they would repent of their sin and they would surrender their life to God, that they would be rescued and saved and they would be loved and honored and one day, be at the eternal banquet table of God and his kingdom. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't just roll their eyes at this. They didn't just grumble at this. They did that. But throughout the Gospels, we see that when Jesus said things like this, they hated him for it. Hated him. Several times, they they were conspiring, trying to find ways to, to kill Jesus because of his radical ideas. Here's the funny thing, though. They weren't radical ideas. Jesus wasn't really the radical revolutionary that we hear sometimes he is. Why? Well, see, these scribes and these Pharisees, they studied the Old Testament. They were students of the Old Testament. They memorized the Old Testament. And so their religious church pride was so stuffy that they couldn't even remember the truth that they had memorized. One of those truths goes like this, Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. It's it's faith that allows someone to be right with God. You can't be right with God because you are a good, proud, church-going American that works hard at your job and puts your kids through school. That, that doesn't make you right with God. The only way to be right with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way to be right with God. But the Pharisees and those scribes, they, they knew this. They, they had these verses memorized. But their pride was so thick that that they just weren't remembering what they already knew. This is another verse they had memorized, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of us, everybody, all of us, the language is simple. Everybody who grew up in church, everybody who did not grow up in church. Everybody who went to college, everybody who did not go to college. Everybody. The white people and the black people. The Baptist and the Buddhist. The Methodist and the Muslims. The Tigers and the Gamecocks. You you pick anybody in any corner of the planet ever in history and all have gone astray. All fall short. All of us, the scripture says. All of us have gone astray. All of us are sinners. All of us are lost. All of us are dead in our sin. All of us. But here's the thing. When we were dead in our sins, God lit the lamp and started sweeping. This is the power of the gospel throughout the scriptures. 
and the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they knew these things in their mind, but in the moment in the crowd, their pride was too heavy. See, they had forgotten the other thing that they had memorized. The verse right before Isaiah said this, 53 verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us have gone astray. All of us are sinners. All of us are lost. All of us are dead in our sin. And there's only one way for that to change. There's only one way for us to be right with God. There's only one way for our soul to no longer be dead but be alive. And that way is not just in joining the church. And it's not just in being baptized. And it's not just in being a good family person. It's not just in making good grades. And it's not just in working hard at your job. It's not just in being good with money or good with tools or good in the kitchen. Now the only way you can go from being lost is to be found. You have to be found. And the only way to be found is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus the Christ alone. Jesus, the one who was pierced through for your transgressions. Jesus, the one who was crushed for your iniquities. Jesus, the one who was crucified for your sin. If that grace has found you, if you have faith in, in Jesus Christ, then, then please understand this. That at the moment that the light of the gospel flashed across your soul, and the moment the Spirit of God quickened you to repent, and the moment the mercy of God swept away all of the penalty of your sin, in that moment there was joy in the presence of the angels of heaven. Over you. Feel the weight of that. Enjoy the weight of that joy in heaven over your salvation. If you're known by most people to be a grumbler or a whiner or a complainer, if you're known by most people to most of the time be negative, pessimistic, or cynical, then please know that those things are the opposite of someone who is feeling the weight of their salvation. Paul Miller is the executive director of a, a global mission and discipleship ministry called See Jesus. They're based in Telford, Pennsylvania. In an interview once, he said this, at any time there is a miss between how we present ourselves as Christians and what we are really like when no one is watching, that opens up a door for cynicism. In other words, we say, hey, but then we act different. That's when the cynicism will kick in. And he says this, a lifestyle of repentance and confession goes a long way to cure cynicism. A lifestyle of repentance and confession will cure cynicism. So what's that lifestyle look like? He goes on. 
I think without a doubt that the principal cure for cynicism is to become a little child and learn to cry out for help, to realize that I am a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. See, this is what repentance and confession do in your life. If they never leave the front of your mind and the front of your heart and the front of your soul, if you keep them at the front, it means that you won't forget that you once were lost and without hope in this world. It means you won't forget that you were far away from God in this world and the world to come. And it also means this, that when the accusing spouse pummels you with nagging, and when the arrogant spouse stabs you with silence, when the apathetic teenager ignores all responsibility, when the abrasive boss calls for more overtime, when the aggravating teacher gives yet another pop quiz, when the pushy salesman wheels up to the door, when the panhandler walks over in the parking lot, when the prostitute walks by the restaurant, when the politician waffles on his position, when the pastor welcomes sinners, in any moment of your life, in anything that happens in your life, when you are moved to be afraid or worried or angry or arrogant, prideful, boastful, discouraged, depressed, maybe holier than thou, gossipy, or you just don't even care. In any moment of life, if you've got repentance and confession at the front of your mind and your heart and your soul, then in that moment, you have something you can say to yourself. And that's this. I once was the lost coin, but now I'm found. I once was the lost coin, but, but there was this moment that all of heaven rejoiced in Dow. And you put your name if you're a believer in that sentence. And friend, remembering that we are lost does something in the moments when we feel lost. Remembering that we were the lost coin does something in the moment when we are frustrated and mad and angry or afraid or worried or just full of ourselves. Offended or upset. John MacArthur says this about this parable from Jesus. It is God in Christ who is that woman seeking the lost sinner, hidden in the cracks, in the dust, in the debris of a dirty world of sin. It is God in Christ who initiates the search for the sinner. It is God who sends his son way down, all the way down, to turn on the light of the gospel, to sweep and to search, to pursue the sinner in every dark and hidden place. 
It is God in Christ who shines the light of the glorious gospel of Christ on that lost sinner. It is God in Christ who reaches down and picks up the sinner and restores him back to the heavenly treasury where his name has been written since before the foundation of the world. And it is God then who breaks loose in joy into which all the holy inhabitants of heaven, men and angels, enter. The celebrations of heaven are not just for the recovered coin, but for the recoverer, God himself. So here's the truth that, that Jesus is dropping into this huge crowd of people and the lost sinners, they were gonna hear it. They were gonna hear the, the joy that might be for their name if they got saved. And then those stuffy, boastful, proud religious folks, they, they were gonna hear this too. And really it's, primarily to them that Jesus is responding. And so the truth that, that Jesus drops down in, into this conversation with this crowd is this. If, if you understand the joy of the one true God of the universe, the joy that he had in his glory, capturing your heart and freeing you from sin, how in the world can you turn up your nose when that same joy comes to dead, dirty sinners that were free just like you were? Is that the story of your life? Were you lost and now you're found? If so, then don't ever get over that. Just, just don't ever get over this truth that you've been found. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever lose joy in it. And don't forget to apply it with everything that you have to every decision you make in life. Don't miss that. Every decision that you make in life can begin with, I was the lost coin, but now I'm found. And just see, just see what happens with the decision then. See, salvation in Jesus Christ is not heads or tails. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the whole coin is no longer missing. So I pray. That when you wake in the morning and when you lie your head down at night, that you might be able to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And the joy of heaven is my song.